at the fringes of perception, beyond the boundaries of your mind, just past the glow of the firelight, out of the corner of your eyes, you will find an edge case. Edge Case Podcast, coming September 10th. Learn more at edgecasepod.com. Step into the this is Macabre Grimoire with Airy Show. Travis Nye, and Robert Maley. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Macabre Grimoire. I am your host, Robert Maley, and joining me is, uh, I almost said musician, magician, Musician, Nye. M- magician, whatever, it all, it's all the same. It's all pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I do make music, but it's also magical. That's right. It's magically delicious. So anyway, what's up? Uh, today, uh, let's see, uh, Ari can't join us today, but uh, don't worry, we've got a special high weirdness sci-fi tale for you here. Uh, well, not sci-fi, uh, technically paranormal. Uh, been spending too much time on the other podcast. <laughs> let's see. It could be sci-fi-ish. It, it's very sci-fi-ish. It's like the basis for a lot of sci-fi, that's for sure. Yeah. Because today we're getting into one of the most famous encounters of all time, the Kelly Hopkinsville Encounter also known as the Goblin Invasion of 1955. Uh, for those of you who vaguely remember hearing about this, this is the one where the like rednecks basically fight off a bunch of goblins all over our house with shotguns. <laughs> That's literally when I needed to... I couldn't remember the name of this incident, so I typed rednecks, shotguns, goblins... Uh, into Google, and it brought it up, like, first hit right away. <laughs> Just imagine a very hillbilly uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, there you go. That's, yeah. I like that. That's what it is. Uh, so let's see. Let's uh, in the, get to the story here. Uh, in the mid-1950s, two families in rural Kentucky made headlines across the country uh, when they told police that their home had been approached by small metallic creatures that could not be killed or scared away. Media coverage of the incident helped draw attention to uh, to neglected reports of UFO landings uh, and entity encounters, and strange goblin-like creatures excited the public imagination. At the same time, however, hostile and sensationalized reporting on the incident served to discredit the stories uh, of contact with anomalous entities and helped to direct the veil of ridicule that now surrounds uh, sci-fi uh, or uh, alien encounter stories. So, all right, so starting off, why is it every alien is metallic? Everyone that we've read about, or goblin, or alien, or creature, or anything, is metallic. Well, so far we've only covered ones from, like, the 50s. Yeah. And that's that's a thing with them. You know, UFOs, we could get into a grandmaster thesis of what all high strangeness is. About, like, if it, they're, like, psychic entities and not so much aliens from another world as, like, they're, like, demons or, like, spirits or, yeah. like, extraplanar creatures that, like, assume forms based on the time period that they're in. 
Yeah, uh, there's a, there's a whole thing about that, and we'll get to it at, at some point here. But for today's purposes, yeah, these are this is fifties era. Uh, I don't keep saying sci-fi, uh, <laughs> para, uh, paranormal. So the creatures they encounter tend to be metallic. It tends to they tend to be very industrial and come in a craft and. So um, I think the the to, the roots of this is to find out at that time period what hallucinogen could you take to make things appear metallic. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm guessing that the people who would discredit the story, the one that they would point to, are not necessarily hallucinogen, but uh, does the job if you take enough of it. Uh, moonshine, moonshine is what they would suggest suppose, was yeah. involved. However. Uh, keep in mind throughout this whole story that because they were at their mo- this family was at their mom's house, they swear up and down that uh, no one was drinking. And the officers who ca- who show up later, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, uh, who take the reports and investigate the shooting and stuff like that, uh, they didn't have any reason to suspect alcohol was involved, and they recorded that. Yeah. So let's see. In the fall of 1955, 55 or yeah, 50-year-old Lenny Lankford lived in a simple farmhouse about 12 kilometers north of Hopkinsville, Kentucky, in a small hamlet of Kelly. She owned a small farm about 400 meters from each of the nearest neighbors, and lived with her son from her first marriage, uh, J.C. Sutton, who ran the farm, and his wife Aileen. Uh, as well as her three children from her second marriage. Yeah, it gets really confusing. Just know that there's like 12 people in the house and they're all like vaguely related by blood or marriage. So, let's see. They kept a few pigs. They kept a do- uh, some dogs, some cats. Oh my! But uh, <laughs> something important to know is that uh, as they were a poorer family, uh, they did not have a radio or phone or TV. And their only source of water was just like a local local well pump. So, uh, and, and then just to reiterate that, uh, while, while these guys did drink on occasion, uh, the mother of the family, family, Mrs. Langford, uh, allowed no alcohol in, in the house and, uh, claims that because everyone, there were people visiting and stuff like that, that there was no drinking involved. So that's something that they swear up and down emphatically because that's something that, uh, and we'll get to that, the sensationalized, like, kind of East Coast. And that there's a whole dynamic to this, kind of a rural versus urban kind of, like, uh, stereotyping that comes out of this. Where they just kind of, oh, they're just some hicks that got drunk and saw something. So right. it's like a lot of the, like, East Coast media really played it that way and made really, like, played it for laughs. Right. So... Let's see, around 7 p.m., uh, one of the people went out for, to the well for a drink of water and saw a bright silvery saucer-shaped object uh, gliding silently through the air, and it flew not, uh, 9 to 12 meters off the ground and left behind a trail of multicolored exhaust. The object flew to the south, stopped over a neighbor's field uh, to the north of the farm. Uh, it descended straight to the ground and appeared to settle in a gully some 90 meters away from the house. Billy Ray could not see where it landed uh, in the t- through the trees. He ran inside and told the others what, that he'd seen a flying saucer, but everyone told him that that was just a meteor. Um, and then they, I've there's some pictures of. In case you're just like, well, 
uh, 90 meters down in the gully and it's like and he didn't go check it out and to see it it's like if you see the like woods we're talking about they are a very thick and very overgrown so it's like yeah once i saw a photo of the actual area i'm just like yeah i have no trouble believing that uh you know no one can see anything through that crap so let's see Within an hour of the sighting, a dog began barking violently, and Billy Ray and Elmer went out to the back door to investigate. The dog ran under the house with its tail between its legs, which is never a good sign. Right. And the men noticed an eerie glow approaching from the field. Also, never a good sign. Right. As it came near, they could make out the, uh, the figure of a small creature about a meter tall with a large round head uh, resting directly on its shoulders and really long arms that reached almost to the ground. It had huge claw hands with talons on its fingers and large floppy ears that and eyes pointed 45 degrees out of the center uh, that admitted a blight or a, uh, a yellow light. Its upper body was muscular, but its legs were thin and spindly and it had no knees. The entire creature was silver in color and gave off an eerie glow in the darkness. The creature walked slowly to the house with its arms raised to the sky. So Elmer shot it. <laughs> so, so I, I have to say I, I just got an image and the the drawings that they end up making the sketches of these goblins uh, is very similar to those from the movie gremlins direct inspiration perhaps that's what i'm thinking so yeah that's, there's that's, a lot of talk that, that they were a big part of the inspiration for that yeah so if, if you're kind of trying to visualize what it looks like imagine a, a mogwai after it's given birth to some water babies and yeah, there you go. Blossomed into these guys. A little bit more heavy on the arms, but other yeah. than that, yeah, very much like the the Gremlins of of Spielberg Gremlins fame. Yeah, which makes me believe that this is. I mean, this is exactly what it was. The Gremlins were real. Uh, the movie was just a documentary. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, what maybe they were all getting together for Billy Ray's birthday, and he got a ornate box from a cursed Chinese gift shop in town. Yeah, I mean, was this party after midnight? Because you don't feed them. That's true. It's true. Somebody fed them after midnight. Too many variables. So let's see. The creature was silver in color. It walked slowly towards the house with its arm raised. And yes, Elmer grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and blasted it in the face. Billy Ray grabbed a 22 and moved inside the back door and shot at it when it came within six meters of the house. Yeah. The men claimed the creature did a backward somersault, and then it fell on all fours and ran into the weeds around the yard. Billy Ray went back inside with Elmer, who gave his gun to J.C. Well, if a 20-gauge is not going to do it, a 22 is not. Well, is it birdshot? I don't know. Like, I don't... Because if you're, if you're shooting at something and they're claiming it's making a metallic sound, right. then the 22 is actually... I suppose have that more direct than scatter. Yeah, yeah, this is how you could tell that we're we're podcasters from the Midwest because <laughs> we're talking. I'm sure in California the they'd be like, "So why didn't the guns kill them?" But uh, you know, good old boys from South Dakota are just sitting here, just like, "Well, if you were using birdshot in that 20 gauge, uh, and if you were like an improved modified spread on that uh, barrel, um, <laughs> then no, it's not going to kill shit. It's right. just going to like yeah. scatter all over the place." But uh, w with the ranges they're talking, though, the pattern would still be pretty tight. Pretty tight. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a twenty two can kill anything if you do, if you know what you're doing. I suppose. But uh, let's see. So the men went out the front door to see if they'd killed it, the thing. But, hit, but as Billy Ray walked out past the hanging roof, a clawed hand reached down and touched his hair, which 
at that point, holy fucking shit. Right, like... That, <laughs> that's some like a, that's some like alien as in like the movie alien ridley scott shit where it just like comes down with its face next year's like <sighs> yeah like we got some hair it's like fuck yeah <laughs> like i like the joke about earlier though travis it's like maybe the aliens were just really concerned about their grooming <laughs> that could have been it like <laughs> sir like, you need to just it's like dude you gotta flare your hair a little bit oh my god they're shooting at me yeah quit part in the middle Billy Ray, quit part we, in the middle. We we came to give you superior hairstyles and a cure to all your diseases, but right. fuck you guys now. <laughs> I mean, the gremlins in the movies had pretty sweet hair. There's That's a couple true. that had mohawks. They had very color. stylish hair for the time. They were Man. they were hip. They were ahead of their time. They were indeed. <laughs> Let's see. The the witnesses noticed that the creatures only approached by the cover of darkness and did not step into the glow cast by the yard lights. They also had two distinct forms of locomotion when approaching the house. They walked slowly in an upright posture after being shot, and when uh, they dropped on all fours and ran away, propelling themselves with their large, you know, front arms. Uh, the beginning in the beginning, they seemed to give off more of a glow uh, when shot, uh, just or even just when they were looked at, which interesting. They were never. Wait, how would you know they weren't glowing when you weren't looking? <laughs> anyway, uh, there were never more than two of them at once, which is important because there was a lot of the reporting at the time that was like, said there were like 12 of them or 20, 20 of them and stuff like that. Just, you know, like the media, they had fun with it and they just went all over the place right. with the story. So important distinction, the family claims there were only ever two of the creatures. So by 11 o'clock, uh, the group had become hysterical, so they piled into two vehicles on the on the uh, the two vehicles on the premises and drove to Hopkinsville Police Station. That would be fucking. Cr Could you imagine? I mean, say what you want about it. if you genuinely believed you were being attacked by aliens, and you were like, "Get in the car, get in the car," and you're like laying cover fire and shit. Like that would be like crazy, crazy shit. I, I, I'd, I'd have to change my pants at the Hopkinsville police station. Yeah, like, I mean, honestly, in that scenario, they gotta be thinking, like, what are we gonna tell them for them anybody to believe us to begin with? Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. So, when they arrived, uh, Police Chief Russell Greenwell uh, then notified the Kentucky State Police. Greenwell, two state troopers, and all the witnesses except June, who was really shaken up, no shit, <laughs> drove to the scene. The Christian County Sheriff's Office also sent a deputy sheriff. Uh, there's just, like, a whole bunch of people. There were, like, some MPs. There were reporters. Uh, it just, I don't know what it is about, oh, there's an alien thing going on that it's like... You know, if we learned anything from War of the Worlds, it's that you shouldn't all gather around and swarm around the landing site. Yeah. That that's a bad, I mean, bad move on your... That's a poor life choice. But it seems like in real life, people totally swarm the shit out of a landing site if they think... Of course, that's it. I've never been in that scenario in real life. If you were in real life, like, someone you genuinely trusted was like, holy shit, there is an actual alien spacecraft in the backyard. I mean, how could you not go look? That's... I that's think that's that. fair. That's yeah. fair. I mean, I'd look from a distance. Yeah, I, I'd ask him to just, like, live stream it on his phone, and meanwhile, I'm going to, like, get the fuck out of there, because I've seen War of the Worlds too many times. But, right, yeah. yeah. So let's see. The small army of witnesses, reporters, police, and investigators converged on the farmhouse and flooded the scene with light. Witnesses remained outside while Greenwell led the investigators in a search of the house in the yard and some of the surrounding fields. Though they saw the evidence of the firefight, they found no evidence of the creatures. And here's what I think is important. Uh, 
As they get, go through this, they're not going to find any footprints. However, none of the people are leaving footprints because it's very dry, hard ground in this area. So that doesn't really tell us anything. Especially if, you know, they're smaller creatures and apparently they're just kind of slowly floating wherever they go anyway. Right. Yeah, if they, if they can float around. But even when they're, like, propelling along, it's just like, oh, no footprints, so it's bullshit. It's like, no. There's lots of times when game does not leave footprints, yeah. you know. Or they're, like, really fucking hard to find. Especially in the dark with, like, flashlights and shit. Yeah. Anyway, uh... So I think that's that's something important. Something important, too, to me is that there's a lot of, like, theorizing about this incident that it was, like, horned owls that got aggressive and were defending their territory. Because, I mean, if you look at the creatures, this goes back to the uh, the Lakewoods monster that we, we talked about a few, or, like, five episodes ago. Yeah. Our, our last High Strangeness episode. And uh, if you look at these guys and compare them just like if you look at that creature... There is a similarity between them and, like, what an owl would look like, kind of. I've never seen an owl run on their front arms, though. That's, okay, that's what bugs me. Approach with its, so that would mean it was approaching with its wings up. Right. That it was glowing. Yeah. Uh, that they kept crawling around. That they, and here's the important thing, that they kept getting shot at close range with a shotgun. Right. And not getting killed. I mean... Say what you want about rednecks. Good old boys know how to fucking aim. So it's true. There's no, there's no way they didn't tap these guy things a few times. And let me tell you, when you, you know, not that I've ever shot an owl because that's highly illegal. But if you shoot a bird that is similar in physiology to a, uh, to an owl, you get a lot of feathers, especially at this close range where they're yeah. ground pounding them. Yeah, you would get feathers all over the place. Even if the, even if the birds got away. And they're not, you, yeah, and they're not going to get away. Like, even a simple, like, BB to a bird, it's going to do some significant damage. Yeah, you'd at least have, like, blood and especially feathers. You'd have, yeah. you'd have, like, thrash marks and stuff like that. And they certainly wouldn't make a metallic sound when you shot them at close range, which makes no sense. Or the coming, or the one that was on the roof coming down and, like, grabbing the guy's head. It's just like, right. Yes, that doesn't say owls to me, you no. know? Especially because, like, I don't know. All the owls I've known have been flighty as hell. Now, there's some people who claim that great horned owls that they have, like, in this region uh, are territorial. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then why hadn't they seen this before? If they're, if this cabin is, like, right in their territory, then they would have seen these owls. You know, it's like animals don't just, like, decide this season they're moving in, like, around <laughs> your house. You know what I right. mean? They... They're very, you know, set in their ways about, like, you know, the ducks nest in the same, like, general area that they nested last season that they came through because it's a good area for nesting. Right. So, it's like, it can happen, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I It's like, I know that's the best, most plausible, real-world explanation for this. Right. But I have lots and lots... You know, and I'm pretty damn skeptical, but I have lots of problems with the, the owl theory. Right, I agree with that. And the metallic, uh, like the metal sound from shooting, I I think that's justified because most of these hillbilly rednecky people pretty much have a junkyard, so it's hard to tell what they could have hit. That's true. But the, but this this lot, especially like you see the pictures and stuff, this is not, this isn't like 70s and 80s like trailer park kind of thing. Right. Uh, there's not a lot of like car parts and debris and stuff like that in the yard from the pictures I've seen. Yeah. So, 
don't know. Uh, but the story itself is not over yet. So the, basically they went through, they searched all over the place, they couldn't find anything. Finally, the you know the police and the witnesses and stuff all said that, you know, it's like, well, obviously they're not coming back tonight. Um, so, and this is the part that fucks with me big time, is that, well, clearly, you know, it's like they're not coming back, we're all out here with spotlights and guns, and they haven't shown themselves, and blah, blah, blah. So, at about 2 a.m., everyone's just like, okay, screw it, we're going to investigate in the morning, let's all go to bed, try to get some sleep. 2.30 a.m., <laughs> Miss Langford was lying in her bed with her head towards the window uh, when she noticed a light from outside. When she opened her eyes and saw that it was one of the creatures peering in with its claws on the screen, another thing for, like, how the hell do you get owl for this? Right. Uh, they just I don't know. I've seen an internet video of an owl acting really weird. It, owls can be f- kind of weird, where it's like it landed on a perch or like on the 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 eave or whatever of a window that was open on a house. Yeah. And it just sat there like up close with someone filming on their iPhone, just like staring at them. Yeah. For like the longest time. So maybe that's. But I don't know, especially if they're getting shot at. That doesn't make any sense. No, I mean, yeah, like you talked about, they're pretty flighty. So you'd think just the sound of the gunshot alone would cause them to scatter. Yeah, being fired at. You know, the wildlife that has survived humans, you know, pan humanity, uh, you know, is pretty good at knowing humans be crazy and to stay (laughs) away from the boomsticks. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they don't survive by being the dumb ones. So uh, she alerted Elmer, who shot it in spite of her protestations. <laughs> More shots were fired within the next two hours, but the creatures were not deterred. They showed no hostility whatsoever and never once attempted to enter the house. Also weird. Only to look inside. Uh, they were last seen at dawn around 5 a.m. So what the hell? Well, it did say that they, they avoided, you know, light. Yep. So, I mean, that could justify why so they the didn't light go is in, in the, the house. house. I'm just like, it's so weird because, like, so they were just like peeking in, just trying to like see what's what. And I'm just, I'm going with the owl theory here, here because the owl one is like the most, like I said, is the most. If you don't believe in this kind of stuff, is the most pl- working, best working, plausible one. But why would owls do that? I don't. Well, why would anybody do it? Yeah, they want to just see what's going on. Uh, okay, yeah, I guess. Owls are smart. Owls are curious. Maybe they're just looking for a new place to crash. That's true. Maybe maybe they're they're just looking for a new crib. So, uh, later yeah, that morning, investigators... A, a meteor just landed. Sorry. A meteor just landed, so they want to get inside where it's safe. Yeah, maybe they're just <laughs> like, holy shit, there might be aliens around. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Do you hear what's going on over there at the other farm? <laughs> we gotta get inside. Yeah, the Lake Woods monster just landed <laughs> over there, so we're hiding over here. That was a year ago. It's its anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> Later that morning, investigators returned to do a more expensive search of the grounds, and the story hit the news. It was first reported on by a local station, WHOP, uh, in their early morning broadcast. Uh, And then, let's see, and their news reporter interviewed the witnesses later that day. Engineer and announcer arrived the same day with the station's owner's son and spoke with Langford and Sutton and the Sutton women and drew a sketch of the creatures based on the descriptions documenting the witnesses' earliest recollections. He later did two more sketches based on the men's suggested corrections. Over the next two days, newspaper and radio poured into Hopkinsville, Indiana, Kentucky, and Tennessee. Uh, An officer from the Campbell Air Force Base arrived at the scene. 
uh, after hearing about the coverage on the radio, um, but public information office denied that he had been sent on an official capacity. So he's just a looky-loo, basically. Um, let's see. So at the time, this is kind of like when Project Blue Book is going on, which is the U.S. project where they actually legitimately, the Air Force investigated flying saucers and uh, reports of unidentified flying objects. So this this was, this would be right up their alley, but they claim they never investigated this. Um, they did eventually put, create a file on it. A Freedom of Information Act shows that they did like request files from the area around it and stuff like that. Uh, but all we've got from Project Blue Book is like a single entry that just says this is a unidentified incident. We don't so basically saying we don't know what happened. We, right. we got nothing, which kind of goes along with the they just gave it a cursory glance and then just moved on. So, much of the reporting was inaccurate and often hostile, especially in the national press. Reporters referred to the unknown entities as little men and exaggerated their number and intent. And a few papers said that they were there were 12 to 15 of the things. And most described the event as an invasion, despite the uh, creature's nonviolent nature. Out-of-state papers refer to the creatures as little green men, a term used from Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast, even though no one had described the beings as green, which is why you see a lot of green artwork of these guys, because there's all sorts of conflicting reports because they were having so much fun, you know, making light of it that, uh, you know, they were just like, fuck it, uh, and just made up stories, you know? Yeah. Which is more believable than metallic. Yeah, I I guess. <laughs> <laughs> A big old frog just coming around. Despite the flippant coverage of governments and journalists, the case received at least one thorough investigation. In June of 1956, fi- uh, Isabel Davis, an investigator in civilian saucer intelligence, spent four days in Hopkinsville with a follow-up. Ten months later, she spoke with Glenn uh, Ian uh, Aline and two the only two cooperative witnesses, as well as met with the neighbors and a few reporters from the who had been there at the time. Uh, Davis also later obtained uh, all Air Force documents on the Kelly Landing case, which showed that the commander of the local Air Intelligence Center at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which is the home of Blue Book, requested uh, information of, on the incident in 1957 after learning of Davis's upcoming report. The reply concerned that the reserve officer that had visited the scene uh, but made it clear that the higher-ups didn't believe in uh, saucer landings. So, okay, so that's interesting to me that she acquired all the Air Force Base's documents. Like, do they just hand that stuff over? Freedom of Information Act. I suppose. Technically, they hand over everything. They're supposed to hand over everything if you know... You have to know it exists and specifically ask for the thing. Right. So you've got to navigate the minutiae, and even then... uh, you'll get it like heavily redacted. Right. But this, they didn't, they didn't care enough about to redact, which, you know, kind of follows through with the, there's no conspiracy blue book. Just wasn't into it. Gotcha. At least. So they made it seem. Yeah. That's what they want us to think. (laughs) Yeah. Just give her all of it. Fake stuff. Give it all to her. So let's see. Um, uh, Davis produced a definitive report on the Kelly Hopkinsville incident in Close Encounter at Kelly, which was published at the UFO Center for or at the Center for UFO Studies in 1978. The case has has no easy explanation. Most UFO sightings end up being explained as misidentified natural phenomena such as planets or meteors, but it's impossible to account for the Kelly Hopkins goblins as any natural causes. 
It's extremely difficult to believe how any person or object or animal could have been seen and shot at so many times and for so long a period and not be mistaken for, or, and be still be mistaken for a shiny floating goblin, which <laughs> goes back to kind of my statements, just like, it'd be one thing if they just like glanced it and shot at it and then it left and was like, well, that was real weird. Right. But they kept coming back, even like. After literally bringing the army with those four, you know, uh, you know, MPs came out with the police and stuff like that. After literally bringing the army out with spotlights and crap, uh, and then at 2.30 a.m. they came back. You know, it's like, no, what animal would do that? Right. I don't don't know of any. And, you know, with this being kind of like the era of aliens and whatever, uh... You also got to think, like, how many people out there, including the military police and stuff, the individuals, not the government uh, agencies, but want to find something like this because it's already been rumored and kind of exaggerated that I'm sure they're just a lot of them going along with it, I suppose, because, like, yeah, we're going to be the ones to find it. That's true. There's yeah. there's going to be a lot of, like, they don't have, you know, they have some movies and, like, pop culture and stuff, but they don't have the wealth of, like alien invasion tropes and right. things we expect and stuff like that. It's kind of like the effect on popular culture where after Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out and their aliens were the little gray men that we call the grays yeah. with the big bug eyes and, you know, just what you think of when you think when I'm saying an alien right now, if you're in the Western world, what immediately pops in your head when I say alien, that guy. Yeah. Uh, no one reported aliens quite like that until the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then once that went, like, became a blockbuster hit, now, like, alien, every alien abduction story, or, like, a great many of them, all of a sudden it, like, it monocultured our alien experience. So, like, everyone, that's the aliens they see now. Right. Is greys. And I, I think that same idea was back then. Like, everybody thought of the metallic alien, and so that was just what popped up. Yeah, they're, they're more of a weird pointy head, metallic, weird ears and eyes, and yeah. So, let's see. Plus, if the family didn't have a lot of money, I mean, maybe that was a bait also. Who knows? Yeah, and that we get into that a little bit here, where uh, for a while there, and the Suttons claim that they did this because they wanted to be left alone, because for a long time it became like a big tourist site to come out and harass the family and ask questions, and they had like squatters moving in and camping on their grounds and stuff like that, who right. were just like waiting for an alien to show up, blah, blah, blah. You, yeah. you, you know how people are. So, uh, and, and it's only true if you have a bunch of people on your side, and who's better to do it than family? Yep. And uh, <laughs> so, at one point, they started saying that they were ch- going to start charging for visits and interviews and stuff like that. And the family said that, most of the family said that was just to get people to stop coming. Because, uh, like, even the mom, the matriarch of the family, she posted several times in local newspapers letters that were just like, please stop coming here. Right. Which, of course, like any good marketing campaign, immediately made more people want to come there. Yeah, right. Uh, so Billy Ray, who a lot of people, like, outside investigators who are super, who think it's a total hoax where they just all made it up and it's total bullshit, uh, they point to Billy Ray, and Billy Ray is the one that uh, started charging admission and he's the only one they know of that actually collected money from people that were like out there looking for aliens smart it's billy ray's smart yeah um so it's 
you know, it's a, a lot of people point to the fact that if this is something they were going to capitalize on to like become rich and famous or something like that, uh, they did not get that at all. No. Uh, within like, I want to say within a, like a couple months or a couple years, they moved off the, like very quickly, they moved from the site. I'm trying to find it here in my notes. It's great radio. Rob reads silently to himself. <laughs> Jeopardy music. But yeah, all but a, all but all but one of the eleven family members that were present that night saw the silver creatures for themselves. Investigators found no uh, no evidence whatsoever that the witnesses were intoxicated in any way, and they ruled out drug induced hallucinations. Uh one of the medically trained investigators who rode out to the farmhouse with Billy Ray the night it happened uh, measured his heartbeat at 140 beats per minute, uh, which, you know, twice the normal average. Right, yeah, that's pretty good. So, they, you know, like, the family, they claim the family wasn't faking it. They Whatever happened, they were freaked right out yeah. by whatever happened. So let's see. Counts, claw marks. Yeah, so to this day... Um, whether they were physically real or not, the little goblin creatures left their mark on popular culture, as did the people who saw them. The entities inspired many movie and video game monsters, including the popular Nintendo 64 game Majora's Mask. Uh, reporters use the term little green men, uh, reporters use of the term little green men was, uh, in revival in its popularity and is forever associated with cases with alien contact. Uh, Kelly host now... Kelly, now the you know the little town, yeah. now hosts an annual Little Green Man festival and embraces the stereotypical image of the green-skinned alien, thus adding more confusion to the like because the actual yeah. town where it happened is like come to our Little Green Man festival. Well, they weren't <laughs> Little Green Men, but come to our Little Green Man festival. <laughs> so let's see. Uh the witnesses themselves, and especially Billy Ray, the most imaginative retailer of, that lived. Uh, on as the basis for the stereotypical UFO witness, the southern gun-toting country boy with a meager education and a wild imagination. Despite the negative spin, the case uh, helped bring reports of entity encounters into the mainstream and compelled the U.S. Air Force to acknowledge them. People everywhere had reported seeing unknown entities since the summer of 1947, and there were a wave of entity sightings across Western Europe in 1954. Whatever happened that night, it's clear that the witnesses felt that something wholly unusual. Hundreds of tourists and and hounded by tourists and afraid that if the beings returned, uh, the family sold the home within a f okay yeah within a few months they sold the house to get out of there. Which that should be a sign because if they're trying to like do it to make money or whatever, it's like you want to stay there. Yeah, you'd want to stay on the site. Instead, they all. They sell the house, they move, and they all work really hard to disappear. The Gover strange government made them do it. Yeah, that's that's gonna be the Men in Black, which <laughs> we will do. A, I'm I'm thinking soon. I'm thinking it's time to tackle some of the really big, because this is a pretty big one. But yeah. I'm thinking it's time to tackle some of the really big corner posts of the paranormal. Yeah. And Men in Black is one that we could do like a two parter on, because that's, I mean. You know, I know the Will Smith movie, and I know the, like, stereotype is just like, oh, the men in black who come to, like, tell you to not talk about aliens. But if you get into actual men in black stories, they are 
fucking weird, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Shortly after that movie, I, I googled it because I was looking for something about. It. I can't remember what it was, and that's when I came across like, oh, this is partially real. Yeah, this <laughs> is partially real and fucked, like really weird. So anyway, <laughs> that's my my digression Glimpse there into the future. But yeah, uh, the strange goblin creatures have inspired many pop culture monsters. Uh, and the family is the stereotypical UFO witness. Anyone who thinks of only gun-toting hillbillies when they see a UFO, for example, like the um, the G- Edgar, the guy in the Edgar suit yeah. from uh, from Men in Black, it's like that's the, the the house they stayed in and that rural family with the rural pickup like that out in the middle of nowhere with the cows. Right. That's a thousand percent. That's the Kelly UFO trope. Yeah. Billy Ray. Billy Ray. Edgar. So yeah, that is, and I encourage you to do some more reading and listening on this topic because this is this is a wild one. I know that uh, Astonishing Legends, one of the podcasts that I listened to, that was kind of an inspiration for this podcast. They did a three-parter where I think they even got some of the family members interviewed. That was like a really, really in-depth, like way, way more deep dive than we did on this. Uh, if it's one you're interested, like I said, this one fascinates me because the whole like. Who are these guys? Where the hell did they come from? Kind of aspect of it. Uh, you know, it's like nothing makes sense. It's like a hoax doesn't really make sense based on the information we have. Uh, an alien encounter really doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, owls sure as hell doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just weird. Yeah. It's like I said, it's what they call high strangeness. And this, this gets you into the... The realm of the of the highest. <laughs> I think we should crossbreed some of your other uh, your other channels here and actually do a, you know an Orson Welles style cat podcast based on what we are talking about. See if we can make people believe it's real. Yeah, uh, somehow I think audiences are a little more jaded uh, nowadays than. Uh, yeah, I did spend the day watching the news. So you know what? Yeah, I think they're gullible enough. We could sell them yeah, on that. Yeah, right. I mean, if they're watching the news, of course they're gonna. Yeah. Go I, with. Yeah. I mean, how many people actually pull their news now from social media? How many people think, like, the Onion posts are real? There's a lot of them. Yep. I was going to say. Uh, you know how many people I've had, like, think that the Sioux Falls headliners' headlines are yeah, real? Yeah, exactly. I read those comments, and people are like, are you serious? Or blah, blah, blah. And then, then, of course, the next two or three comments ruins it. Like, you understand this isn't real? It's, it's a satire. And it's like, they put, you know, Adam, uh, who runs that site, cool, cool guy, I can't wait to have him on another podcast episode at some point. But, uh, yeah, he even puts on the, like, headline of it. It's like, the Sioux Falls headliner, your number one source for satire. You know, <laughs> yeah, so it's right. like, it even comes up in the link. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, anyway, that is the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you like what we do here at the podcast, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you, uh, wherever you get fine podcasts. Uh, that's thing. right. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, that's right. I was going to say, and for all you goblins out there listening, definitely uh, reach out to us so we can prove that you're real and uh, support uh, what you guys really want and get you in the community. Absolutely. I We will totally, we will put you up, swank. We'll put you in a suite at the downtown Holiday Inn. If you're a goblin, we will, we will cook you up. We'll be your connection in town. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good for you. You know, I'm saying this, and now they will fucking show up, and I'll just be like, <laughs> how am I going to pay for this? Yeah. And I didn't tell them how long at all. Yeah. And just, yeah. 
This discussion right here is the origin for the Orson Welles. Like, we just talked about it, and we invited them, and here they are. Yep. And, 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 of course, everyone will be like, oh, okay, now they're really committed to the bit of convincing us of the goblins. And it's like, <laughs> no, guys, I'm posting it on Instagram. He's sitting right here. His name's Terry. Uh, and <laughs> He's wearing a top hat. He has lanyards around him. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for listening, everyone, and uh, we will see you next time. Macabre Grimoire is a production of the SiouxEmpire.com. Learn more at macabregrimoire.com.